0: highlights we want to do this morning just so that you're aware and you don't miss anything again lots of information is in your bulletin but a couple of things um, last week we had barrett croft here to uh, just give us a faith inspiring faith building message uh, and uh, one of the things that he, i think he brings is a great challenge to get involved and do something uh, if you missed last week's message you can always catch it through our website uh, on our podcast uh, or uh, page as well as go to um, itunes you can subscribe and never miss a message So that's one way to do that, to hear that message if you missed it. Um, But he challenged people to get involved, to do something, and one of the ways that he's done that is through sports. Uh, And he even highlighted uh, our camp that we do here, Mega Sports Camp, um, which is happening August uh, 14 through 18. And if you uh, have that kind of time in your schedule, we do need help. Uh, we could still use about 20 more people to get involved with that camp to make that a very meaningful experience. Now, uh, in the past, we've had street invaders uh, come. Uh, they are teams that um, come from um, uh, Eston Boot Camp. They go there, they learn how to um, do ministry, and they're, uh, they're taught for about a week, and then they come out and they go on uh, various missions. We've had a team here for the last several years, but this year, we're launching our own um, ministry team so we have our own boot camp that is for uh, youth to be involved in serving at Mega Sports Camp um, they'll get uh, practical ch- uh, teaching and then get the opportunity to kind of walk right into a situation where they can use some of that um, teaching so if you want more information about that if that sounds like it could be uh, interesting to you um, you can uh, probably sign up in the, in the foyer you can contact uh, kids at hillcrestmj.com uh, for more information and we'd love to get you plugged in Uh, to something like that, so mega sports camp. Um, Also, uh, uh, camp is fun. We had the chance to worship and do that. I had the chance to be out at uh, Kettleston this last week at Senior Teen and help out with the worship for a few nights, and just got to be on the grounds even while some of uh, the fun was happening, but even in the middle of the fun, uh, there are some um, amazing staff people out at Kettleston who... um, Some of you know Joel Burkhart Uh, throughout the uh, week. He's collecting testimonies from people about the things that God is doing and he's sharing that with other people and he's constantly encouraging people and lifting up um, what God is doing and giving honor to him. And that's just one example of some amazing staff. Um, And it was just really, really cool. We had, you know, there's actions that go along with songs. We did on the final night of camp, a worship night out on the beach. Uh, We kind of gathered and uh, there's no, you know, words when you're, You know out in the middle of the the on the beach and looking at the sky and all of god's creation but um all of these senior teens who very often is the group who are too cool for anything this group of young people are doing actions in the most amazing way and there's a song they sang um and it was about um kind of looking at our lives much like lazarus jesus called our name and instead of just kind of you know Lazarus coming out of the tomb kind of in his grave clothes. It was, he ran out of the grave. You know, he calls her name, we ran out of the grave. And so these kids are on the beach all lined up ready to worship and we sang that part of the song and they were like running around in circles on the beach just to celebrate and to embody what it is to experience uh, the deliverance of the Lord. So amazing things are happening. So keep that um, on your mind uh, even this week and continuing throughout this summer. The ministry of Kettleson Camp, pray for their staff, their volunteers, their workers uh, for safety, for fun, And also just uh, pray that uh, um, God would continue to do amazing things through Kettleson Camp. Uh, Some other things we want to make you aware of this um, summer at Hillcrest is some of the Hillcrest Um, projects. You probably have projects at home. We also have a few projects around here that we like to make you aware of. Um, We're making a few changes to our uh, nursery area, our nursery two, and our nursery are going to flop for some uh, good reasons. We're going to try to improve those spaces for our ministry, as well as give a few more extra square footage um, to the development uh, of our prayer room. Now, if you are uh, handy uh, in any kind of way, whether it's demo or cleanup, um, skill level for demo and cleanup generally are pretty low, so many of you can participate with that, Uh, but drywalling, painting, and a few other things, we're going to make some improvements um, to this kind of area here in our church, so If you do have some of those skills and you think you'd like to lean in and help a little bit this summer, you can talk to uh, Doug Siegelco. Uh, You can uh, send an email even just to um, info at hillcrestmj.com and just say, hey, you're interested in helping with the facilities project or talk to Doug and uh, he'll get you involved. He'll maybe rally a group of us together uh, so we can make a big dent into um, a big project. Uh, but we want to um, put some uh, emphasis into our prayer room, uh, give it some vitality, and make it another multi-purpose space that we can also use for a variety of other things. Okay, new series. We're starting a new series called Summer Playlist, Psalms for Your Soul. Now, um, pop albums very often will come out in the, uh, the summertime, the summer season. How many of you have the new Katy Perry album? Anybody out there? No, you're afraid to admit that in church. That's, um, so, this summer at Hillcrest, we're going to be exploring the lyrics to some of ancient Israel's greatest hits. Uh, we're hoping that these ancient lyrics can guide you uh, in uh, our deepest thoughts and feelings towards God in a meaningful, prayerful expression. Uh, in ancient Israel, the Psalms were the center of their worship. So for those of you who would get here late or have to leave early, you would have the psalms. You'd miss the expository preaching, but for them, their high view of scripture put the psalms at the center of their worship service. Now, um, they have a lot to teach us about, um, again, the wide range of human experience, human emotion, but also prayer, the character of God, and how he relates to us. The psalms are poetry and music. Now, I took a songwriting class years ago and we talked about what a lyric was versus what poetry was. What is the difference between poetry and lyrics? Most poetry is best when it is read. It is to be viewed on the page. You can see what it looks like. Um, Lyrics, on the other hand, are meant to be heard. How many of you have listened to a song, found it full of great depth and meaning, and then read the lyrics and found it surprisingly empty of content. It's amazing what happens to words when they are sung, not just spoken. Now, our study of the Bible is often more like the study of poetry. Uh, We analyze the words, what it looks like. It's like studying poetry, perhaps. But I hope that we remember as we go through this series that it is not just supposed to be read, but also sung There's supposed to be music behind um, what's happening here. Um, So, the Psalms are divided into five books or five volumes. Each volume is distinct for one reason or another. All of the Psalms are, well, the Psalms are a collection of collections. It's like the greatest hits of greatest hits um, going back thousands of years. The language changes throughout each book, perhaps the use of Yahweh, we see that in our English Bibles as capital Lord, L-O-R-D, all in capitals. The use of Yahweh is sometimes liberal in some of the books and yet sparse in other parts of the Psalms. Um, Certain phrases become more common in certain books also within the Psalms. Much of the poetic elements are lost in translation for example, assonance, which is kind of like rhyme, though Hebrews didn't really use rhyme. Similar-sounding words. Alliteration, you know, similar-sounding syllables at the start of a word. Wordplay, it's lost. We can't see also Hebrew, Hebrew acrostics in English. It's been translated. Um, as a worship leader, constantly kind of on the look for Good, meaningful songs that are also deeply rooted in scripture content. There's always a tension between the song that has lots of exact phrases from the Bible and songs that have um, more creative, poetic elements, metaphors, and that kind of thing. Sometimes they seem like they are difficult to put together. For example, um, a metaphor like shepherd most people that are familiar with church, Christian worship, are okay with the idea of singing a song about a shepherd. That's a biblical metaphor that we can actually look through and see, um, whereas a metaphor, say, of Jesus as your IT guy might be more difficult for you to kind of get a hold of, even though the metaphor of shepherd or IT guy might equally convey, they might be equally as potent in communicating an idea about God or how we should relate to him. I'm not saying that I'm going to write a song about Jesus, my IT guy. <laughs> but um, those, that tension between um, metaphors, poetic language, is difficult. You know, throughout the um, uh, Psalms, there are many metaphors, similes. There's poetic language, there's theological language, there's common language, and none of it is Color coded for us so that we can easily kind of identify each um, part. Um, So we have to kind of walk with the Holy Spirit as we go through that content and have have Him illuminate to us um, those different elements and help us to understand them. It's a genre that we have to dive into. Uh, A few more interesting things about um, the Psalms. Uh, In our Bibles, uh, in the Psalms, you'll very often notice that there's kind of some title information and then verse one is the start of the content of the psalm. In the Hebrew Bible, that's actually not the case. Our verse one is their verse two. Verse one, the part that includes the information about who wrote the psalm and when and what music is supposed to be there is actually their verse one. So remember that those kind of um, Markers, chapter, and verse are helpful to us, but not necessarily inspired by the Holy Spirit. So let's not always overlook those things. In fact, today we'll have the chance to do that with the psalm we're gonna look at. Again, just kind of again, introduction to the psalms. Here's a quick overview of some of the kinds of things that you might find in the psalms. The prayers of the individual. The praise of the individual. The prayers of the community. The prayers of the community Prayers, uh, The praise of the community. Confessions of confidence in God. Hymns uh, of praise to his majesty and virtue. Hymns celebrating uh, God's universal reign. Songs of Zion, the city of God. Royal psalms, this is by, for, or concerning the king, or the Lord's anointed. Pilgrimage songs, kind of on the way to worship, that kind of thing. Liturgical songs, instructional songs. Now, the prayers of the individual and the community are complex, but these are common elements. The address, you'll see things like, O Lord, my God, Sovereign Lord. The appeal, arise, answer me, help, save me. Descriptions of distress, many are rising against me. Um, A complaint against God. Why have you forsaken me? Petition, vindicate me, do something. Motivation for God to hear. For I take refuge in you. For your name's sake, because of your unfailing love. An accusation perhaps against an enemy. There is no truth in their mouths. A call for redress, let them be put to shame. Claims of innocence, They hate me without cause. I walk in integrity. Perhaps confession of sin. I have sinned against you. I confess my iniquity. Profession of trust. You are a shield about me. A vow of praise. I will sing your might. My lips will praise you. Calls for praise to other people. Sing to the Lord. Motivations for praise, for you have delivered me, for the Lord hears the needy. Before we dive into today's psalm, uh, let's just pause for a moment and pray that our hearts would be open, our minds would be sharp to hear what he is saying to us. Father, we just again surrender this moment to you. Uh, Father, would you um, make your word alive to our hearts and minds? Help me to communicate well, and uh, I pray for us all that we would have soft, tender, listening hearts to hear your voice as you speak to us. Okay, last year, in the spring, we did a series called One Thing, and that series was about undoing the idea of balance as a worthwhile pursuit. For example, the tension between work and rest, Uh, and we said, a more biblical approach actually is more like seasons, a botanical growth that happens. Uh, and the seasons are very unbalanced. Uh, I mentioned that uh, today because in that season we looked at winter, spring, summer and fall, and the different um, passages of Scripture that kind of really lean into those ideas and what we can do with those things. So for reference, you can go back and find that series, and you can go through those different seasons. But this psalm showed up in winter, and this psalm has a very cold, wintry chill about it. There is no sadder prayer in all of the psalms than Psalm 88. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn to Psalm 88 with me. You can use your it's okay, Josh Chalmers is not here. You can use your phones to look at the Bible. For those of you who miss Josh, you should certainly go back and listen to his podcast as well. Um, there's a line, uh, Dave Matthews' band has been a favorite band of mine for uh, a long time. They have a song on one of their albums called Funny the Way It Is, and it kind of looks at various ways that the, the world is and how it's just interesting, bizarre, unique. One of the lines in the song is this, somebody's heart is broken and it becomes your favorite song. Has that ever happened to you? It's peculiar how sometimes a very sad song can connect with us in the most deep way. I haven't heard many um, pop songs, you know, top 40, you know, successful songs that had lines in it like, everything's pretty normal right now, no drama, mischief, or tragedy here, or, or um, we both love each other, just got back from the grocery store, or probably going to do some dark gardening in the evening, but there's not quite enough tension somehow, we, you know, songs, that would be a little bit bland maybe, maybe some of you would love that, but <laughs> this song's about very normal things. We're redecorating our living room. Um, but yeah, somebody's broken heart becomes your favorite song. Uh, I recently heard a song like this, not, not a very bland one, but one that evokes very deep emotion uh, by a Canadian singer-songwriter, Joey Landreth. He has a song called Greenhouse. And uh, it's one of those haunting songs where you realize that the person singing is dead. Have you ever heard one of these songs? In the beginning of the song, you're rooting for the guy and his love. And then you realize as it progresses, it's too late. This is a song from the other side of the grave. And uh, it evokes deep emotions in you. It stirs kind of things up in you. It makes you think differently about your life. You know, you hug your family like tighter and a little bit longer every time you hear a song like that. It's masterfully written, I think. It makes you look at life differently. I'm not sure if there's any truth in that song, but there is something in Psalm 88 that kind of painful that should reach us to our core. So we're going to read it together. We'll kind of go slowly, and you can chew on it, meditate on it, think about it as it goes by. Then uh, I'd like to take you just to a moment in history, uh, Israel's history, to hopefully shed some light on um, perhaps this psalm. Some of the lines will become more alive after you perhaps read them. Then I'd like to look at the healthy habits of the author. And then uh, because it might make you uncomfortable... I'd like to help you wrestle with embracing its crushing blow. So here it is, Psalm 88. I'm going to start in the Hebrew verse 1. So this is the title information. You know, again, you're, depending on your translation, it might be said slightly different. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, for the director of music, according to Mahalath Lenoth, a maskil of Heman the Ezrite. This is verse one in our Bibles. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night, I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles. My life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the places of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. I'm not sure where exactly it comes from, how it was started, or how popular it's been over many years, but do you know people who talk about a life verse? Maybe it's a verse that kind of showed up at their uh, baptism or at a significant point in their life. They talk about a life verse. Very rarely does it come from Psalm 88. <laughs> you know what I'm kind of saying? It's hard, isn't it? It's not fun. You know, some of you will be thinking, they should have done a different message for this because there's kids here, right? Shouldn't we shelter them from this kind of a part of the Bible, you know? Let's look at some background uh, the sons of Korah are mentioned again in the kind of Hebrew verse 1 in our pre verse 1 section of the psalm. The sons of Korah. Who was Korah? Who were the sons of Korah? Uh, we're going to look at another part of the scripture here in a second um, Numbers chapter 16. If you'd like to flip there, you're welcome to. So, history after Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt as they're on their way to kind of the promised land, getting their new nation set up, um, some of the parameters had to do with uh, who was going to do what. Now, um, one of the sons of Israel, Levi, and those who kind of his descendants, the Levites, um, they had certain jobs to do within the new nation. Uh, Levi had three sons, Gershon, Merari, and Kohath, You know, the Mererites managed the transport of the frames of the tabernacle. Uh, uh, You know, sons of Aaron, they were able to serve as the priests. And the Kohathites, they were in charge of the care of the sanctuary, care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars. They were not allowed to touch these items or use carts to move them, so they had to go about it in a very specific way. Uh, In Early in the book of Numbers, in chapter 4, verse 15, you kind of realize that many of the Kohathites began to disdain this task and to covet the role of the priests. They kind of wanted a different job. Now, Korah was a grandson of, the, you know, of Kohath, this, from the Kohathites. Korah and a few other instigators, along with 250 other men in pride, challenged the right of Moses and Aaron to the priesthood. This is in Numbers chapter 16, so we're going to uh, go there. They were essentially asking the question, who has the right to be our true leader? Who has the right to be our priest? Is it Aaron? Is it Moses? This is number 16, verse 28. Moses said, after this kind of confrontation began to happen, Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all of these things and that it was not my idea. If these men died, you know, these instigators If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As you read on, as soon as he finished saying all this, The ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, "'The earth is going to swallow us too.'" Again, I don't know anyone who has those as their life verse. Even in a story like that, which seems devastating, there is God's grace. Everyone that was associated with Korah, his whole household, all that belonged to him, went down into the earth. And yet, we still have the sons of Korah now these maybe his actual sons whether they were too young to understand their father's sin and so God gave them grace or whether they perhaps were old enough to really understand what was happening but had actually distanced themselves from their father who was living out in this sinful way uh, and God had grace on them we, we don't know that one way or the other um, but God had grace for them and these sons of Korah um, were allowed to continue in the nation of Israel. In fact, seven generations later, someone from the line of Korah that you might know is Samuel, as in book of Samuel, first book of Samuel, second book of Samuel. Samuel, who anointed David as King Samuel, was from the line of Korah. Uh, They're responsible, the sons of Korah, again, not the actual sons, but the descendants of Korah, that phrase, sons of Korah, are responsible for 11 of the Psalms that we have in our uh, bibles um, some are very famous as the deer pants for the water that's sons of Korah. we sing a song very similar to one of theirs god is our refuge though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea the sons of Korah, again were known by that name and Korah was famous for his sin and being swallowed into the earth as you read through Psalm 88, uh, knowing this, when you hear verses like 6, verse 6, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. You can't ignore kind of this history. Uh, even earlier in the chapter, um, Moses says you know, basically, everyone get away, stay away from. All of these instigators, move away, stand far back, don't associate with them. Um, And then verse eight, you've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. In this psalm, verse one has the most hope in it of any of the other verses. And from then on, it seems like trouble, death, death. And darkness. So let's look at the healthy habits of the author of Psalm 88. The author prays. He prays morning and night. He prays right to the end. He prays though he has no strength, he prays though he is alone. He prays, though he doesn't have an answer from God. The author prays, and so do we need to pray. Pray all the way to the end. Pray if it seems like all hope is lost. Pray when you have no strength. Pray if you feel forgotten. Pray when you feel like even God doesn't care for you. Pray when you are abandoned by friends and family. Pray in your grief. Pray when it all seems dim. Pray when you're depressed. Pray right to the end. And don't just pray. Cry and cry out. Another healthy habit of the author. He sees the sovereign hand of the Lord. He doesn't give credit to his circumstances, but instead accepts that the Lord is the one who will save him and that the Lord is the one who has put him in the pit. Nothing has swept over him that was not the Lord's will. He accepts that if he is destroyed, it is because the Lord willed it. If he is alienated and alone, it is by the Lord's will. Though the circumstances we find ourselves in arise out of our own sin, the sin of others, even people close to us, and also from the evil in the world, we can know that God still rules. And that his mighty power to rescue us is also that same power enough to help us face the things that we're in, face the darkness. The third healthy habit, though he sees the Lord as sovereign He still appeals to him. He trusts in a sovereign Lord, knows that what the Lord wills, the Lord wills, but he appeals to him for change, for relief, for meaning, for purpose, for victory. Trusting in a sovereign God is not to leave everything to fate, to become passive, apathetic, or a victim. When every option is taken from us, When we have no other move to make, when we are powerless, we will always have prayer. God not only hears our prayers, he invites them. He places his spirit inside us to bring it bubbling to the surface. No tool that we have in our possession is more powerful than prayer. The only power play we have is to humble ourselves, bow our knee and pray grit tenacity and intelligence hard work will never accomplish what prayer can accomplish it is the means by which we are changed and the means by which we change god's sovereign mind now this psalm ends with no relief There's no saving that we get to see. Does the author come back from his dead light state? Does he find his way from the pit? Is he embraced by friends? How does it end for him? Perhaps even now you're not thinking about what happens next for the author. You're very likely thinking of what happens next for me. I'm not sure what your darkness is is like what your pit might be. Perhaps a marriage in crisis and it seems like there's no way back from the dead-like state you're in. Perhaps you're the child caught in the middle. Perhaps your friends at school have all abandoned you. Perhaps you just graduated and the college or university you were hoping for has not accepted you. What's gonna happen come harvest time? Will my health situation change? As a child, I learned that sometimes the world wants to throw you into a fiery furnace. Sometimes it is heated seven times hotter for some. I learned that at least on one occasion, three men walked back out. But I have also learned that most people who are thrown into a fiery furnace don't walk out again. I'm not being negative. I'm not being pessimistic. Most people who are thrown into a fiery furnace don't walk out again. I learned the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, when I was a child. um, Elementary kids, have you learned that in Hillcrest Kids? You know that story? The fiery furnace. In Daniel chapter three, this is starting in verse 16, um, we read about their response to King Nebuchadnezzar before they're thrown into the fire. And I think even more than the miracle that they got to experience being thrown into the fire and emerging again, unharmed, I think there's more potency and power in their response. I'd like to read it uh, with you now. Daniel chapter three, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You might feel like you have been left in the dark. In that darkness, in that pit, you need to say to the enemy who is hoping that you're going to instead bow to all of (laughs) uh, the ways in his world, you need to say to that enemy, even if he does not rescue me from the fire, I will not bow. I will hang on to him when I have nothing to hang on to. Because when I have him, I have everything. Some even, in verse 17 of Daniel, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Uh, Some people would even push hard on that, you know, and he will deliver us. See, they expected that they were going to walk out of that furnace. I don't know if that's truly what it means. He says he's able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand, I'm not sure what that deliverance looked like for them, what they expected. I mentioned earlier that many psalms include an appeal. The author in this psalm asked questions as his appeal. He was trying to leverage something against God, appeal to his motivations. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up to praise you? Is your love declared in the grave your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? The author believed the answer to these rhetorical, maybe genuine questions was no. That God should save him, bring him back from death and darkness so that he could experience the wonders of God, rise up to praise him, declare the love and faithfulness of God in the light of day, to all those who surround him. But I believe the answer to these questions isn't no. It's yes. How? All of humanity is lost in their sinfulness as though dead. We can be made alive in Christ. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we can have eternal life. He does show his wonders to the dead. He makes what is dead come to life. And whether by our victorious lives or by our humble death, our spirits can rise to give him praise. No matter what end we are destined for in this life, it is not the end. When we are in the dark asking what happens next, we can answer eternal, abundant life in the presence of God Almighty, who is the lover of my soul. What happens next? See, his love was declared to us in the grave. Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross and his body laid in a grave because of his great love for us. And more than a grave, he was laid into darkness and the weight of all of our sin laid on him. You may bear terrors and despair, suffer and find yourself close to death, but Jesus has taken all despair and all suffering and death on him so that even though we suffer, we will not always suffer. And though we find ourselves in darkness, we will not remain in darkness. And though we die, we will have eternal life. We sing a song called 10,000 Reasons, and it has a line in it that says, and on that day when my strength is failing and the end draws near and my time has come, for some of us, our strength will fail a lot earlier than we expected maybe our time will still be a long way off. We will be left in weakness and failing. For some of us, our glory days have come and gone. Perhaps darkness in some way or another will fall on all of us. And in those days, we need to remember, I am confident that the fourth man in the fire will be with you and you and you, and you, and your fire. He is with us in our suffering. He is with us in our grief. He is with us in our winter. He is with us in our darkness. He is with us in our pain. And we have a hope that a time will come when we will be with him forever in light and warmth and peace and companionship of all those who walk with him and put our faith in him. On another occasion when the enemy was trying to make somebody bow, Jesus undoes the attack of Satan with these words, it is also written. The enemy was using part of the scripture as an attack against Jesus, but he responded, it is also written. Many of us are being overtaken by the enemy because we don't know what the scripture also says. It is the fullness of Scripture that needs to inform our lives, our conduct, and our theology. Many of you are forming your whole worldview on an incomplete understanding of Scripture, and it's dangerous to you and the people around you. See, this psalm ends without any relief, but we have the fullness of Scripture to teach us about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Reading this psalm, we don't have to lose heart. We know that Jesus accomplished on the cross changes darkness we can look at the darkness differently we know that it's temporary we know this because of what the scripture also says so in addition to prayer if you find yourself in this situation you need the word put your word into your heart a great way to do that is by reading the bible every day have a plan and keep pressing forward also Just go to church. Right? Let's not make it a legalistic thing, but go to church anytime you can. Some of you are already thinking, well, what about when I'm on holidays? And I just said, don't make it a legalistic thing. And when you're on holidays, just go to Kettleson Camp. There's church twice a day. (laughs) Honestly, you'll be glad that you did. Most people, average now for most regular attenders for uh, church is about one in three weeks. Put the word of God in your heart. Um, This summer, why not the Psalms? Make it your summer playlist. Uh, I'll invite the worship team to come back and I'll just make a few more comments. What happens next for you? Many of you are not in a pit, really suffering or feeling close to death. Perhaps you are in most danger of losing your way if you ever find yourself there. So be extra careful. Use the Psalms this summer to prepare your heart and mind for the wide variety of experiences you might find yourself in. It will teach you to have a radical faith and a resilient life. Most of you who are quite comfortable will forget this message quickly. My challenge is to you, take it seriously. Now, some of you are in a pit. You feel overtaken, overwhelmed. There are many great resources out there, but maybe that's even overwhelming. Can I recommend one resource to you? Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Uh, I read it during the season where my parents were both uh, sick with cancer and then passed away, uh, and I found it very helpful. Uh, It's multidimensional. It approaches things from uh, theological perspectives, biblical perspectives, even um, philosophical perspectives, but perhaps most meaningful throughout the book are sprinkled real, true stories of people who were walking through very difficult circumstances. They're walking through pain and suffering, but walking with God. I found it very encouraging. For those of you who feel alone like the psalmist felt alone, it is simply not the case in your situation, because we're here. Hillcrest is here. Not just the staff or the volunteers or elders Our church isn't great because of staff and programs. Hillcrest is a fantastic place because we do life together. We're not perfect. We all have a sinful, selfish person inside. Um, But we are also the saints and we are here to encourage and build each other up to bear with one another when in our burdens. Uh, If you need to talk with somebody, don't make the mistake that the enemy is hoping you'll make and stay disconnected. Talk to somebody, pray with somebody. Don't stay alone. You can even send a prayer request to prayer at hillcrestmj.com. This psalmist prayed and prayed day and night he prayed and we'd like to also pray with you even now. Um, Again, whatever it is this morning, we'd like to pray with you. We always make that available at the end of our service and we're gonna do that this morning as well. The worship team is gonna lead us in one more song and if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to pray with somebody, please do that. As the worship team finishes that song, our prayer teams will be available and I'd be happy to pray with you. If you feel like you can identify with this author, uh, I'd love to pray with you. So let me just wrap up by uh, saying a prayer and I'll give things back to the worship team. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that in you we have the resources to face anything. Thank you that when we have you, we have everything we need. And uh, Father, I hope that uh, Hillcrest continues to be a place um, that tells both of the stories of uh, the faithful people who are thrown into a fiery furnace, who are uh, rescued, and also of those who are faithful, though they are not. And that we would be able to teach um, the many generations coming um, that it is not just this life that we are trying to rescue and save, but that we are to be brought into an eternal life with you. That the next big next step for all of us, what happens next, is an eternal life with you. In your name we pray. Amen.